Uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Today is Palm Sunday, as Zach so eloquently told us. Uh, It is Palm Sunday, and there are some common misconceptions when it comes to Palm Sunday. Uh, Like, one of those misconceptions is that uh, when Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, that everybody waved their palm branches at him. Well, Scripture never actually tells us that. What Scripture tells us is they laid their palm branches on the ground in front of Christ. It's a common misconception, and, and, and you see it in movies all the time, people screaming and waving their palm branches in the air. And I'm sure that, you know, if they did that, that probably cooled Jesus a little bit. But Scripture doesn't tell us to do it. There are other common misconceptions uh, that we live with on a daily basis. And one, I just have to be honest with you, one that I have talked about in a sermon and told you that it was true. I even told you that you could go home and Google it if you didn't believe me. <laughs> it's not true. But we're going to talk about it. The first common misconception is this. If you put metal in the microwave, it's not actually going to blow up your microwave. <laughs> right? It's not, it actually doesn't even mess up your microwave. You could, you could take the metal out of your microwave and insert a muffin, and it will still make your muffin warm. It's true. Uh, the second common misconception, if you throw a penny off the Empire State Building or any other tall building, it will kill whoever it hits. That's not true. Uh, the truth is, it will sting a lot. <laughs> but it's not going to kill anybody. Another one. And this one I've just tested recently, and most of you know this. It's not true that if you shave, your hair will come back faster and more coarse. It's not true. It's not true. 36 years to prove it. I've tried. It doesn't work. Here's another one, another common misconception, that you can see the Great Wall of China from space. That's not true. You can if you have a camera that can really zoom in a long way. Then you can see it. But if you're just in, let's say, the space station, you cannot see the Great Wall of China. But you know what you can see? All of the lights from our cities. Those are clearly visible, but not the Great Wall of China. The next one. The Declaration of Independence. Anybody know when that was signed? July 4th? No. August 2nd. Does anybody know why we celebrate on July 4th? I don't either. The next one. If you, yeah, where's Lindsay when we need her? With the babies. If you cut an earthworm in half, then both halves will still live and become two worms, right? No, you actually just have a dead worm. That's all, that's all you get. Yeah. Yeah, fish bait, that's right. Uh, here's another one. If you are in space and you float away from the space station, right? Your mask comes off, you explode. No, that's not true. You do die. You might not want to try it, but you don't explode. You just suffocate. And the next one, fortune cookies have never even been made in China. Well, maybe now. But they're actually from California, so we should just call them... Well, yeah. Next one. 
Does anybody know who this is? This is one of my favorite ones. I'll be honest with you. I believed this my entire life until this week when I read that it was a common misconception. That is that the word... Well, first, let me introduce you to this guy. This is Thomas Crabber. Does anybody know what Thomas Crapper invented? Indoor plumbing, right? So that is obviously where we get our word crap from, right? No, it's just Latin for not Thomas Crapper. And finally, if an elephant eats 100 pounds of rice and drinks 100 gallons of water, it does not explode. Its stomach does not explode. Matter of fact, we quit throwing rice at weddings because birds would eat it, and then they would go, and then their little stomachs would explode. That's not even true. The truth is your stomach will really stretch, but it's not going to blow up. And, and to even prove that further, Mythbusters has some great videos online that you could, that you could watch on that one, but I didn't, I'm not going to show them to you this morning. But those are some common misconceptions. One that even, you know, we talked about here in church. But in Scripture, there are also some very common misconceptions. And really, Palm Sunday is all about a huge misconception. Right? Luke chapter 19, verse 28, starts like this. After saying these things, Jesus headed straight up to Jerusalem... And when he got near Bethpage or Bethan- and Bethany at the mountain called Olives, he sent off two of the disciples with instructions. Go to the village across from you, and as soon as you enter, you'll find a colt tethered, one that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks anything, ask. If anyone says anything, ask. If anyone says anything, ask. What are you doing? Sorry, that just didn't read right to me. And I've read it like, yeah, Zach. Say his master needs him. The two left and found it just as he said as they were untying the colt. Its owner said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said what? The first thing that we can take from this amazing Palm Sunday story is this. When Jesus tells his disciples to do something... His disciples do what? They do it. They do it. it. There is no, but there could be a better way. (laughs) There is no, wait a minute, that doesn't sound just right. There is no, you sure you want me to go today because I would much rather go tomorrow. There is no doubting. There is no judgment. There is no torment of the master because you have a much better way to do it. There is just doing it. When Jesus says it's time to do something, as crazy and ridiculous as it sounds, like, hey, go find me a donkey that's never been ridden and tell its, master that, tell its owner that your master needs it and he'll just give it to you. Even something as ridiculous as that, when Jesus asks them to do it, they do it. It's done. Verse 35, so they brought the colt to Jesus. Then throwing their coats on its back... They helped Jesus get on, and as he rode, the people gave him a grand welcome, throwing their coats on the street. And right at the crest, where the Mount Olives begins its descent, the whole crowd 
of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works they had witnessed. Blessed is he who comes, the king in God's name. All's well in heaven, glory in the high places. Does anyone know why they were so excited about Jesus, about the Messiah? Here's a common misconception, that Jesus was the only one. Right? At this period in Scripture, there are actually hundreds of false messiahs. There are actually hundreds of people that are out there saying that they were just like Jesus, that they were the Messiah. They are the chosen ones. Now, what sets Jesus separate from all the rest of them? God, right? God. And what they saw Jesus do. Do you know over and over again when Jesus would heal somebody, do you remember what he would tell his disciples or what he would tell the people that he healed? Hey, don't go tell anybody. (laughs) Keep this to yourself. Do you know why that is? Because to Christ, it was about the message and the understanding about the relationship with God. And if I just show you a bunch of magic tricks, or if I just show you a bunch of healings, or if I just show you all things, and that's all you talk about, you're not going to get why I'm really here, right? What do the people see? What are they glorifying right now? It says right here clearly in Scripture, I'm glorifying the works that you have done. Why? Because I'm looking for the guy that's going to come and do what I think the prophecy says, and slay the Romans, and give us back what is rightfully ours. That's what it's all about. What these people are looking for is a Messiah who's going to come on a wild stallion with a flaming sword and annihilate their enemies, right? Because that's what Scripture, they believed, was telling them. And here comes Jesus on a donkey that's never been ridden. Not a wild stallion. What's the difference? If I ride a wild stallion into battle, I'm ready to fight a war. If I ride a donkey into battle, what am I ready to do? I'm ready to sign for peace. See the difference? A stallion represents a battle, a donkey, and not just that, a new donkey represents peace. Now, see, they didn't recognize that because in their eyes, they're blinded by this very huge misconception of who Jesus is. Did they get the part right that he's the Messiah? Yeah. But they got everything else wrong. And we're about to see it. Ready? Verse 39. So some Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, you got to get your disciples under control. What do we learn here? The first youth group, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what I, what I saw as soon as I read this, that even 2,000 years ago, there were some lame religious people, right? They came to him and said, look, Jesus, you got to get these people under control. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of drawing attention. They're afraid of being too loud. They're afraid that if they announce that the Messiah is here, guess what the Romans are going to do? How ironic. You with me? Verse 40, but he said, hey, if they keep quiet, the stones will do it for them, shouting praise. Here's what I love. Verse 41. Here we go. It's about to get real. You ready? When the city came into view, he wept over it. Now, here's the Messiah. 
this great Palm Sunday. And I'm telling you right now, I've seen it in movies a hundred times. I know you have too. The, the, the religious people are going crazy. The disciples are going crazy now because the religious people are going crazy. Everybody's worshiping and praising and shouting. And what does Jesus do? He cries. Do you know why he cries? They don't get it. They don't get it. This is what he says. If you had only recognized this day in everything that was good for you, but now it's too late. If you had only recognized what I'm here to do. If you could just see me and stop visualizing what you want on me, then you would get everything you're looking for. But it's too late now. Why is it too late? He keeps going. In the days ahead, your enemies are going to bring up their heavy artillery and surround you. Pressing in from every side, they'll smash you and your babies on the pavement and not one stone will be left intact. Not one stone. What's he talking about here? He is prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem. Guess what happens not too long after they crucify Christ? Jerusalem is destroyed. And guess what the enemy does? They slaughter their babies so they can't create more. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, listen, you're looking for a warrior. I am the Messiah, but understand this. Your enemies are going to crush you, even with me here. Because I have not come to bring a sword to annihilate all that is bad that happens in your life. That's not the point. The point is this. We've talked about it in our uh, Bible study over the last couple of months. Bad things happen to good people. Christian people or disciples of Jesus Christ get persecuted. The, the Christian walk is not an easy one. Ask Job. It's not easy to be holy. And here's, a, here's one that's really going to tick you off. Good things happen to bad people. And there are going to be people in your life. There's going to be uh, bosses of yours or friends of yours or family members of yours who are just flat out dumb, bad people. And you know what I'm talking about because you're thinking the names right now. Here's the point. Sometimes, a lot of the time, they get blessed for being bad people. It doesn't make sense to me. Here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You're not getting it. Here's what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders. You're not getting it. You're, this is the biggest misconception, Palm Sunday, the biggest misconception in scripture. It continues and he says this, all this because you didn't recognize and welcome God's personal visit. 
Now, I want you to understand what's happening. This, this, bring the whole picture together now. Jesus is sitting on a donkey talking to those disciples who are closest to him, right? That's who can hear him. Why, why is that so important to remember? Because everyone around him is still screaming, blessed be your name, right? He's still in a circle of people screaming about how great the Messiah is and those closest to him are seeing in Jesus nothing but hurt for those people. So here's what happens next. Verse 45. Jesus goes into the temple and what does he do? (laughs) He throws out everyone who had set up shop selling everything and anything. He said, it is written in Scripture that my house is a house of prayer and you have turned it into a religious bazaar. Here is the Messiah. And when he rides into Jerusalem, he immediately attacks the Romans and slays them and sets everyone free, right? No, he goes to the Jewish people in whom he has come to be the Messiah and he ruins their establishments. Wait a minute. Give me back my palm branch. That's not what you're here to do. What what do you think you're doing? And then he does this. From then on, verses 47 and 48, from then on he taught each day in the temple. The high priests, religion scholars, and the leaders of the people were trying their best to find a way to get rid of him. But with the people hanging on every word he spoke, they couldn't come up with anything. Why do the people hang on every word that Jesus is saying? Why do they hang on every word that he's saying? I'm going to suggest to you this. It's because he's talking about something that is so drastically different from what they were brought up believing. He's teaching them what it means to be the Messiah. He's showing them through his life how the Messiah is going to act. And they can't get enough. So much so that the leaders of the people, the the Pharisees, the teachers, are trying to scheme and devise a way just to get him out of town and they can't do it. Because if they do it, they'll get a revolt. Not from the Romans, but from their very own people. And so what do religious people do when something is not going their way? Whatever it takes to get rid of the problem. You follow me? What do disciples of Jesus Christ do? They hang on every word. I want to show you four common misconceptions in this story. And then I want to share with you what I believe are the four truths that we can take out of this story. Here first, the first four common misconceptions. The first is this. We will always win. We will always win. That's the first common misconception. The second, we have it all figured out. Right? At this point, you ha- listen, you have to put yourself here. These people really believed they had it figured out. They really believed they they knew what was going on. 
And so did the leaders of the people. So did the teachers of the law. They thought they had it figured out. Here's the third thing. Jesus is all smiles. One of my favorite scriptures are the scriptures when you get to see real emotion from Jesus. Some of my favorite people in the world are people who let me in to see what's really going on in their life. Some of my favorite teachers in this world have been people who were able to teach me through what has really happened or what they've really experienced or what they've really learned. I think the reason these disciples could not get away from Christ, were hanging on every word, is because of everyone in Jerusalem at this moment. The only real guy is Jesus. The only guy who gets it and is now teaching it, who has been living it, and is a representative straight from all of that that we seek. Finally, we will always believe. What happens the very moment that Jesus says to the very people he has come to be their Messiah, you have turned this house of prayer into a shop and flips everything that they're doing. What happens? They turn on them. That's all it took. Listen, you can come in and say what you've got to say. You can come in and do what you've got to do. You can come in on your donkey You can come in any way that you want to come in. But the moment you begin to challenge or change what it is that I have believed my entire life, that very moment, I will crush you. No conversation. No discussion. I will not learn anything different. I will not open my mind to you, but instead, I will crush you. Four common misconceptions. We will always win. We have it all figured out. Jesus is all smiles, and we will always believe. Here's the truth. We don't always win. Surprise. We don't always win. It's not always easy. It's not a bed of roses. It's not going to be money falling from the sky. If you create bills, guess what you're going to have to pay off? Your bills. Right? Right? If you get fired from a job, guess what you're going to have to go look for? A job. If your boss is mean to you on Monday, guess how your boss is going to be to you on Tuesday? Mean. Now, am I saying to you that God doesn't perform miracles? Absolutely not. But what I am telling you is this, that God has given you a mind and a heart and strength and courage. Now, if you choose to live by fear then know this, that's not of God. If you choose to live by doubt, then know this, it's not of God. But if you choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, know this, there is nothing that can defeat you. 
Because I serve he that is greater than all that is in this world. You follow me? We don't always win, but I'll tell you what we do. We serve a living God who walks every day with us. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. One of my favorite preachers, some of y'all maybe have heard him, some may not. His name is T.D. Jakes. I could lay on the floor and listen to T.D. Jakes preach all day. Other people can't do that, and that's okay. Just a personal preference. Love T.D. Jakes. I'm going to tell you right now, I think he's got it all figured out. Dude is, dude is really smart. But then, every now and then, I see a quote, or I see something, and I go, yeah, he ain't got it yet. He ain't got it yet. Let me tell you why. We don't all have it figured out. I think my bishop, I call him my bishop, T.D. Jakes, is incredibly brilliant, right? But he's also a blockhead sometimes. We don't all have it figured out. Jesus demands change. If there is anything in your life that separates you from where Jesus is pointing you to go, I'm telling you right now, he will shine that to you, he will show that to you, he will throw that in your face, and you will get angry, and you will get mad, and you will deny it, and you will say it's not a problem for me, and you will run from it, and you will hide it, and the Holy Spirit will keep bringing it out, and keep bringing it out, because Jesus says so beautifully and so eloquently in Scripture, you have to change. Your body screams to be human. Your body screams for its sinful nature. You're born in it. You're used to it. You desire it. And what Jesus is saying is, that's not good enough. That's not what you were created for. The void was not to be filled with a sinful nature, but to be filled by God. So we're going to take all of that that you've seeded in there, and we're going to replace it. But in order to do that, you've got to get your shovel. And you've got to start working on these things. Because, finally, Jesus always believes. Jesus always believes. He knew that in the moment that he rode into that town, as he wept for those people, he knew and he believed that they could change. How do I know that? Because he stayed in the temple and taught them. On the way in, he said, you're all going to get crushed. You're all going to get destroyed. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. And he could have rode right back out on that same donkey he rode in on. But do you know what he did? He stayed and he taught and he taught and he taught. Because he believed there could be a difference. Will you stand with me? Every week as you leave, I try to give you a little life application. Last week, we talked about prayer, and I asked you for the next week, if you don't have a prayer life, if you would just begin to insert that Acts prayer system into your life and really begin to pray 
on a daily basis in that way to begin to create a method of prayer in your life. Why do I feel like that's so important? Because I'm going to tell you right now. You all have this common misconception of who it is that you think you're supposed to be. And what a lot of us do is we take this idea or we take this picture of what my life is supposed to be like and we apply that to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, we want you to make us like this beautiful, pretty picture of life. And if you do that, Jesus, I'll love you. I will love you. I'll give it all to you. But you know what, Jesus? The first time that my life doesn't look like this beautiful, pretty little picture that I have pasted on my wall. The first time my life goes awry from that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to find another idol. And I'm going to follow that. Because I'm going to chase whatever it is that brings me happiness. I'm going to chase whatever it is that feeds this emptiness in my spirit. No matter how short of a time period it may be. Because I can just hop on to the next thing. And what Jesus is trying to tell you is this. Listen. Life is life. Life is, 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 is painful. But you know what? There's also blessings in it. And in life you're going to suffer. But you know what? You're also going to rejoice. And in life you're going to cry. But you know what? You're also going to laugh. And in your deepest, darkest moments, life is going to seem miserable. But you're also going to have moments when you're singing my name that you can't keep your hands out of the air. I'm going to tell you right now, church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, it's not good enough to be fickle in our palm branch waving. It's not good enough to be fickle in our worship of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of a movement of people who hang on his every word, who desire change, who want to be a part of something bigger than my little misconception of what life is supposed to be. I want to be valuable to God. And whatever that looks like, whatever I have to shovel out of my life, whatever I have to move, wherever I have to head, God, I commit to you right now. I commit to you in this moment that my life is yours. And if you put me in an office building in Huber Heights, Ohio, and, and tell me to try to make a little church there, then God, that's what I'll do. And if you put people in this little church, God, who I know desire you and want you and want to be fed and want to move, then that's what we'll do. And so I pray that your life application this week is to pray a simple prayer and to say this, God, whatever misconception I carry in my heart, I pray that you remove it from me and that I can see the value in who you really are. God, whatever sin is in my life this week, I pray that you reveal it to me, that you forgive me of it, and that God, through you, I will have the strength to change. I will have the strength to desire to be different. I will have the strength to move forward through those walls that have held me back for 30 plus years or however long it's been. God, I will desire you, not my little picture of what I think life is going to be.
Can you do that this week? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this place. And God, I thank you for this place because I know that you are here. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you move in a mighty way. I pray that you show us the places in our lives, Father, the places in this movement that are not of you, that are our desires, that are our image of what we should be like. And God, that you would replace those cravings with what you desire and with what will glorify you. God, I love you. I worship you. I praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.